Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Hey. And today we're hitting the books uh, with a new anthology from MV Media. And you might think to yourself, Rodney, how big a check is MV Media cutting you? And I'll say not a very big one at all because we actually bought this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We, we, it's quite the reverse. <laughs> we cut checks to MV Media. Yeah, yeah. Normally, normally uh, we review Milton Davis's work in uh, Sword and Soul and Fantasy. Uh, but this one interested us because it's a topic we don't get to cover a whole heck of a lot. Uh, and that is uh, Cyberfunk which is cyberpunk fiction from the perspective of the peoples of the African diaspora, and there you go. So th- this basically came out around the same time that we both had got copies of Cyberpunk Red. Yes, right around the so, time. So our interest was um, at a peak. Yes. Because and- of... Um, the cyberpunk red. Mm-hmm. And we had also and we, just done burning Chrome. We just did burning Chrome. And then I went off and read the sprawl trilogy. So when this, when, when we actually like ordered these and got copies of it, uh, it was like the height of our, our winter romance with cyberpunk. Yeah. man, And we don't get it. Cyberpunk is cool. I, I enjoy it a lot. And, you know, we don't get to cover it a lot because, you know, it's just, for some reason, it never comes across our desk. And uh, well, this, also this time, the, the fates aligned and it came across our desk. Well, also, a lot of the people who wrote cyberpunk in the 80s have moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't see a lot of new cyberpunk shit. William Gibson denies it's even a genre. So, right. Gibson's doing like techno thrillers now, just straight up near future stuff right yeah and uh and uh stevenson is doing like historical fiction with mathematics mm. woven in there it's weird but yeah so a lot of the um the, the pioneers of cyberpunk have disavowed the genre so to speak which is a shame yeah well i mean you know cyberpunk is kind of a definitely a an 80s 90s kind of aesthetic and that is dripping through here in cyberpunk uh we're gonna do it the traditional microphones of madness anthology way where we just go down the table of contents and say what we think of each story yep and uh we are limited in time and we don't always have a whole heck of a lot of say so if you're listening and you're an author in this anthology and we don't appear to spend a whole lot of time. It's not because we didn't like it. It's because, you know, some things just stand on their own without a lot of words. Like this introduction. Right. <laughs> uh, also, um, we try and remain spoiler free. Right. Right. We will fail, but we will try. So we will fail. We will try and we'll fail twice. Yes. Uh, odd, though, speaking of introductions, odd that this anthology has none. I like that because, you know, that's usually like eight pages a, that I skip anyway. <laughs> I, I am an introduction reader, especially in um, anthologies of, of, ver- of 
varied authors. Um, mainly because I'd like to know a little bit about the authors. Right. And usually an anthology will give you a little bit of a, a blurb about the author, maybe a blurb about the the story without giving too much away. Mm. Uh, so I do like them. Uh, it's missing it. So it kind of didn't have a um, something to ease you in, I guess. Well, yeah. And, and when you read the introductions like that and you're you know, reading an anthology in in the normal way, <laughs> you can read the introduction and you can skip around in the book and, and read the stories in the order that those blurbs appeal to you. Uh, however, we go beginning to end. And today, this is going to be a two-part uh, episode. And today, we are covering the first ten stories. Yes. So, uh, yeah, let's just jump right into it with A Sunken Memory by Donovan Hall. Now, the first... Those of you who are longtime listeners to the show know that I always go on and on and on about the first story in the anthology. And... Here again, this this story was kind of perfect uh, as as kind of a bookend as as it features a cyborg character uh, hunting for relics of a lost human past, and it's almost like the the artifacts that this explorer finds are the other stories in the, as they're not necessarily chronological, but they seem to. That they could take place in different eras along this potential future. This story uh, made me want to listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in the first paragraph, the character CJ listens to September, and that's a trigger for me. Yep. Because I love that song. <laughs> I think everybody loves that song. And not my wife. Not your wife. Well, okay. No. People with sense, like... <laughs> wow, man. Why you gotta go there? <laughs> I was gonna go with taste, but I think Nick likes that song, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny as shit. Um, so, the thing about this story, and it's something I had to adjust in my mind, is that this is cyber funk. Mm-hmm. not cyberpunk. Okay. Um, so you have like certain things that make cyberpunk into its, you know, its genre. So it's recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that noir, the eighties future kind of thing. Um, and it, that sets it apart from, from like a uh, regular, Oh, I got my dice back. Um, a regular science fiction story, right? Mm-hmm. And I was reading this and going, this is cool. I mean, you've got um, a human intelligence and a um, cybernetic body. But to me, the thing that was missing was that human element, that dirt um, that you that I am used to in cyberpunk. Right. But this is funky. So I, I had to do a little bit of a mental switch mm. to uh, to not judge this genre against the genre which it is rebelling. Right. Against. Right. So that 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 it's it's a little you know it's it's 
getting over my preconceived notions of what cyber cyberpunk is um, and you know trying to see it through a a, uh, a black lens more or less mm-hmm. right right so I mean that's my own like hangups and stuff you know what I think cyberpunk should be and what cyberfunk is if that makes any sense. It, it, it took some adjusting because it, it didn't have like that, that grit, that dirt, that urban um, noir feel to it. And um, some of these stories do, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's the unifying, um, the, the unifying factor. No, no. Um, it it kind of plays with the idea of the singularity of, um, through through that lens, but yeah, I don't think every story in this book necessarily relies on all of the tropes of cyber cyberpunk. Um, right. Although there there are a number of stories, and we'll get to them as we go down the list, because there's quite a few examples um, in these first ten stories that are just classic cyberpunk elements. Yes. Uh, and then there are a few that are just interesting takes, uh, drawing upon more the idea of the singularity, the merging of human flesh and machine, or human mind and machine, as is the case in Sunken Memory. Uh, it's all about it's all about the human mind being melted into machine. Uh, and I, I will say, as a teaser to the first story, that uh, this treasure hunter cyborg. Uh, may have actually discovered a greater treasure than the one they originally set out to find. Dun, dun, dun. So there you go. Just right there, just you sucked right into this this world that's about to be presented to us. So yeah, that was that was a, a nice little introduction. Well, and you also get um, CJ eighteen forty four cyborg with with a uh, human. Ingrams, mm-hmm. uh, listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire. So, yeah, anytime there's a soundtrack, is always good. <laughs> and if it's September, you know. Yep. All right. The next one up on the list is "Once Upon a Time in Virtuopolis" by Ronald T. Jones. Now, this one is straight up classic cyber cyberpunk style techno mystery yeah this one has all the hallmarks of of the genre in it it's got corporate malfeasance virtual reality just as meaningful as the real world mm-hmm. uh, you know the the um the main character is a disgraced former um fbi agent tons of tons of like that great stuff that mix that makes it like gritty Mm-hmm. And powerful, I right? Think. Right, a disgraced like intelligence operative who is a, now a detective and looked upon as you know not really that great of a detective because they try to do their job, <laughs> right? You know, it's that it's that classic kind of uh, cop story that you that that Hollywood likes to make, um, where it's like. We're not playing by the rules. I'm going, I'm out for justice. 
right know, and is, which is a hallmark of, of noir fiction mm-hmm. which is also one of the components of cyberpunk right yeah so yeah i like this one it does have some elements that kind of reminded me of uh cyberpunk 2077 and irobot things like that but uh, and snow crash snow crash uh what was the one surrogates to an extent? Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of uh, lot of lot of influences I feel into this story that kind of bring it together and make make it uh, really th- th- is coupled with sunken memory. It's just like a one two punch. Yeah, the thing I really liked about the story was just um, just functionally how the virtual reality was seamless with reality Mm -hmm. um, in terms of um, people's where they put their value. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if if you look at the matrix, the, the the films, right. You know, the, the matrix quote unquote was once you was it the red pill, whatever. Right. Once you took the proper pill and you knew uh, that what the matrix was, it lessened its value, became less than. It was almost like a um, a, a fairyland. It was imaginary. And in this, the um, virtual reality world is just as vibrant, just as important, almost more so to the people um, who inhabit this story than the real world. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I thought that was really good because that is how... Uh, like things like Snow Crash and, um, you know, the, the cyberspace uh, operate mm-hmm. in classic uh, cyberpunk fiction is you have these dual realities and they're just as valid. And it's it's a story, you know, of how people adapt mm-hmm. to the their changing environments. Right. And you also have the element in there that, uh, as you say, the, the virtual world is as just as alive and vibrant as the quote unquote real world. Um, but also people are engaging most of their lives and most of their activities in this virtual space, which kind of is rather pointed here in 2021, given that, you know, we spent most of the last year primarily engaging in a virtual space. Uh, I just, literally got through jamming with some friends mm-hmm. in a virtual space. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So we've, we've adapted to this kind of doing this. So it was really kind of, you know, this story seemed like it's a future that would spin out of the events that are occurring right now. So, yeah, I would, I would say definitely a good, nice little one, two punch there right at the beginning to, to bring us into the, the, variations we have the the classic side of cyberpunk uh through the lens of black authors and then we have a different a different take on the idea of singularity and man and machine now the the one thing i have noticed with these two stories and it's going to change Mm -hmm. um is there's a very optimistic outlook on life mm-hmm. in both of these stories. I don't want to spoil how they end, but it's not on a uh, dour note. No, no. Um, it, they're, they're very like positive, like you inhabit these worlds and uh, there's hope. 
There is, you know, a good can triumph over evil um, and, and do it like on the up and up. Right. That's right. Life uh, finds a way. Right. <laughs> so I think that is, I, I found that um, a lot of the um, sword and soul stories that we've read mm-hmm. also have that kind of like baked in positivity. Right. Right. To them. Yes. Um, very, very up, upbeat outlook. Now, that's an interesting segue as the third story is Thank Unlimited you. Data by Eugene Bacon, uh, which is quite the opposite of yes. everything we just said. It is it's quite short, uh, but in its in its brevity, uh, it, it is kind of a kind of a slap in the face a little bit in, in that, um, you know, it seems to me to be really kind of the origins of of this type of singularity society. And it's always built upon uh, a marginalized class. Yes. So this is the first story where we actually get to see the kind of underside, the underbelly, Mm. uh, the people who are shoved to the margins. Um, And always with these anthologies, there's always a story that I have to read twice. Mm Mm-hmm to let it sink in and to like get over my initial, what the fuck? And this was that story. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I really had to read, I had to read it twice. Cause I got to the end. And I was like, because the first two stories, like I said, are very positive, mm-hmm. <laughs> very like, Oh, well, Virtuopolis is a great place to live. And then I read this one. And I was like, what the hell? Let me, I got, no, I got to read that shit again. Right. And the second time through is just as harrowing. Yep. Yep. It, it definitely does stand out as, as like a, a, a thumb in the eye sort of to that tech positive future that we see in a lot of science fiction in general that, because it is, it's very tech positive and how all of this stuff is kind of ubiquitous, but nobody ever really goes in and talks about how that stuff came to be. And, right. and Bacon's story really kind of like gives us a plausible way this began and one that kind of hits it home because it does, you know, it, it, it is the the evils of capitalism and it's very much a cyberpunk story that's keeping in with modern sensibility yeah well here's the thing is everyone has iphones and computers and ipads and then you know we have all these pieces of tech our tvs our microwaves everything and the Internet of Things, as they like to call it. Right. But those things have to be manufactured. Mm-hmm. And we live in a capitalist society and they're always manufactured cheaply. Right. And that means they're manufactured overseas in places like Pakistan, in places like India, in places like um, wherever this. Does it even say where this was? Yeah. Um, Kabbalaga. And the waste, the pollution, 
from these industries kill people. <laughs> right. People get cancer because mm. of this shit. Right. Yeah, I, I own tons of technology. So, you know, I'm just as guilty as the next person with this. But this story kind of makes you think about the um, flip side of that great technological life that you're living. Mm-hmm. People pay the price for that. Or, or even, not even necessarily that great technological life, but the, the fact that technology is becoming so integrated in society that uh, there are folks who can't survive without it. And I don't, I don't mean like, you know, it's you know, being some type of anarcho-primitivist or anything like that. I'm just, you know, just the price of having to survive in a capitalist society you know, you need certain things. And in this particular story, it's unlimited data and you need a, a good data plan to manage your employment, you know, so you can get the money to survive. And yeah, it, it, I mean, for, for one of the shortest stories in the, in this section of the book, it, it packs a lot of things to be read into it. Yeah. This is definitely the, the, this is the the dark horse mm-hmm. um, of the stories that we've read so far, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this this story it's perfect in in like a cyberpunk anthology, a cyberpunk anthology. Um, you could put this in a lot of different uh, categories. Mm-hmm. Like you could you can publish this in a horror um, anthology. Yep. Like no problem, um, it's it's very versatile, um, and it might actually be my my favorite story of the ones we've read so far. Yep, yep, it definitely definitely very good. A lot of lot to unpack. We could probably just cut right there and do the rest of the episode on this story because there's so right. much to unpack. Four pages, four pages, and you could probably write graduate dissertations on on the ideas that are presented here. Yeah. So, uh, Eugene, good job. Yeah. Uh, next up on our list is or engine. My fault. Engine. Uh, oh, is it engine? I'm my apologies for, uh, screwing it up. No, it's Eugene. Oh, I need my apologies my for need. apologizing for screwing it up. When not my apologies. It's a, uh, yeah, my, my, uh, glasses need glasses. Apparently. Yeah. You need some cyber eyes, man. That's right. Fuck, I do my eyes suck. All right. Fourth up on the list is Flesh of My Flesh by John Jennings. I really like this one. This one was just fun. Uh, my note says Southern Fried Neo-Noir. <laughs> yeah, mine says so far the most noir of all these stories. Yep. yep. I, 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 love, I, I, I love how the... Uh, the narration is is uh, colloquial. You know, you have the narrator is like giving a report or or being interrogated by this unseen machine, and they speak in vernacular and 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 real casual speech, which is weird because the narrator himself is a virtual personality, right? But a virtual <laughs> personality that is is much like. Much like CJ in a sunken memory, it's it's an actual human mind that's been transplanted because war is shit. 
<laughs> war. Right. Yeah, and that's the other great thing about this story is the world building in this story is fantastic. Um, you know, the, the other stories didn't quite have that. You didn't get a sense of history on the world, even even with the opening story, which was like almost at the end of history. Right. The dying uh, earth kind of story. Yeah, you didn't quite get like the scope of the history. Um it didn't feel as alive as in here. And maybe it's just because it's the way it's narrated mm -hmm. uh, that it, it is a conversation. Right. Yeah. It's very, it's got that. It's very relaxed in tone uh, as opposed to a lot of stories, even written in the first person that are, you know, still, they might seem casual, but the, the writing is still very formal. The way, the way mm -hmm. the narrator speaks, uh, in this in this story, the narrator is, you know, not a writer. He, he's he's a talker. He's a storyteller, and he spends a good yarn. <laughs> and a lot of uh, a lot of the usual suspects of uh, of noir are in this story. Uh, you know, people people who are expected by society to behave one way, and. Uh, actually are the, uh, the what they say they're not and it's like everybody nobody's hands are clean in this story nobody yeah. and that's 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 one of the things that makes a great noir is like you know some stories you read well who's the bad guy because it's more like the lines of good and evil are right. are clean cut in this story, the lines of good and evil, there is no good and evil. It's just all gray. Yeah, it's got that uh, southern gothic mm -hmm. feel to it. Yeah. Uh, story takes place in a futuristic uh, Jackson, Mississippi. It's uh, kind of close to my heart being being nearby. Where That's I'm across a river. Uh, across a That's river and a little down... Drive, drive down I-55 and you'll enter near, near my old stomping ground. Fat chance. <laughs> I don't I don't go below Mason-Dixon anymore except to Baltimore. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, I prefer to think of my old neck of the woods in, uh, in the Fredonian terms of New Haiti. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. So definitely, that's that's one that it, yeah, that it was, makes uh, this anthology a must read. It really does. Flesh of My Flesh by John Jennings. Yes, indeed. All right. So next up on our list is Comfort by Kyoko M. And this too is also kind of a classic noir, uh, angels with dirty wings sort of sort of thing going on. A modern day bodice ripper. I don't know about bodice ripping. There's definitely some ripping going on. <laughs> not, 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 I don't think about maybe a, maybe a codpiece ripper. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like the juxtaposition of roles here. Uh, the main character uh, that we meet is is a, a pleasure android, but uh, kind of reverses the trope a little bit, and it's a male pleasure android. Yes. Like Data, he is fully functional. That is true. Um, yeah, so this story 
uh, delves a little bit into uh, the classic "What is human?" Mm. and uh, who gets to have rights in the world yep. as a person. Yep. Yep. Kind of the old uh, Asimov question, or the old Dick question. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Asimov. <laughs> let that one sit there for a second. That'll be. We'll let that. We'll let that one stew. Now, now that you, <laughs> now I have a note here after reading. This is halfway through. This is the halfway point of the first half of the book, and I have a note here with asterisks. Speaking of Philip, but that was uh, a Slaughterhouse Five guy, wasn't it? That signed his name with an asterisk. Yeah, Kurt Vonnegut. Uh. If I have one critique of the anthology so far, it would be like the stories start with slow buildups and the climactic action is really rapid fire. And it really stuck out to me in this story where we had a lot of different world building, we had a lot of conversation, and by the time we get to the main thrust of the the action of the story, and it's a revenge story, uh... All of that takes place so f- fast that you're just kind of like blinking when you're done. It's like, wow, it's over? Yeah, I'm almost wondering, because this the story starts almost in media res. Um, if you've watched season one of Daredevil, uh, there's maybe the second or third episode, uh, Daredevil wakes up in an apartment uh, beat the shit out of to, and there's a uh, Rosario Dawson, right? Is patching him up as he's waking up. Mm-hmm. That's how this opens up. The the android has had his ass kicked, right? And, because uh, androids must obey the rules of robotics. Which and are- uh, he is being repaired by a um, mechanic, a technician. Yeah, mechanic. Thank you. That's the word. <laughs> yep. And and the android, like, you know, I want to thank you. Well, you know, you're you're sentient. Decide however you want, what you, whatever you want. So the android yeah, and, takes a job as as uh, yeah. As that's a the thing is, is and trash to, to remove her. She's a a woke mechanic. <laughs> yeah. She is. Um. She. She's an ally. She believes in uh, Android rights. Android. Yep, yep. And and once again, we kind of we kind of get that definition. What is what is human? What is alive? Right. You know, is, is it just flesh, or is there, or is sentience? So, and, and it delves really uh, pretty deeply, actually, for you know what a fifteen-page story mm-hmm. um, into. Uh, you know, a, a conversation that we might be having in a few years. Yep, yep. Once once these AIs start uh, really taking off, you know, um, we actually talked a little bit about this when we were uh, looking at games that you can play in your head by yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the robots. Your job was the game. Yep, your job. Now, see, and this is this is another example of what good science fiction should be doing, and coupled with unlimited data, it asks 
us to confront some really difficult questions. Uh, you know, that on on the surface you think, you know, yeah. But when you start thinking about no, but that can't be right. Well, you, you know, can ask yourself the direct question, mm-hmm. which is uh, if there isn't artificial intelligence, should they be considered people? Mm-hmm. Or you can ask yourself the question, um, should Jews be considered people? Should Asians be considered people? Should black people, well, there you go, be considered people? Right. Um, it doesn't stop at artificial intelligence because mm-hmm. we are thinking beings. Obviously, we know what a metaphor is. Right. And you can ask these deeper questions. And, and like you said, that is the the sign of, of really good thinking science fiction. That's not just basic space opera. Right. Uh, you know, you can answer these questions in a more comfortable uh, environment. It's 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 a lot easier to have you talk about AI mm-hmm. and your your prejudices against AI than it is to have this conversation um, about other people who are different from you. Right. Right. Because you can. You can. It's. it's it kind of it kind of allows yourself to detach and really consider it and but we all know that the answer is actually yes androids and artificial intelligences are more people than corporations are oh yeah <laughs> so if corporations are people so are ais yeah well corporations aren't people <laughs> so that doesn't answer anything uh, well but like questions like this go back to the roots of this particular genre with um, the AI Wintermute and Neuromancer, those, those AIs, uh, you know, the whole, you know, plot of, of uh, Neuromancer was uh, an AI trying to evolve beyond what it is. Mm-hmm. And just because they're hyper intelligent and can do scary fucking things, right, doesn't doesn't mean they're not people, right, right. There's always this kind of uh, strain running through certain interpretations of artificial intelligence that we will be basically creating a machine god. Well, that's that is omnipotent, omniscient, and can do things beyond the capabilities of mortal kin and it will have taught itself how to do these things whether you're well, talking yeah. about neuromancer winter mute or you're talking about skynet or david bowie's uh song i forgot what it's called offhand but there's a david bowie song in there uh you know a lot of people have have um looked at that you know philip k dick and roger zelazny took a look at that in uh deus Irae. uh shit man we had the one in Futurama, which was a fembot disguised as a femputer. <laughs> I didn't watch that much Futurama. Oh, Futurama's awesome. You should go and watch it. All right, so next up on our list is Lai Lai by our old pal Balgun Ojitade. 
And uh, first thought I had on this is in the future, we will use the metric system. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. (laughs) After. After centuries of being obstinate in using the imperial system, we will finally break through to the metric system like the rest of the civilized world. Hooray. Hooray. Now, this is... There's kind of an old yeller aspect to this story. <laughs> this story is pure Balogun Ojitade. Yep. Uh, there's absolutely nothing in this story that isn't. <laughs> <laughs> B- Balogun Ojitade managed to write a science fiction story and stick ancestor in it mm-hmm. <laughs> he's got all spiritual up in this he got i mean <laughs> it is it is definitely it is definitely crossing over into the genre of uh science fantasy yes even. uh integrating the more fantastical and supernatural elements into uh a, a world that has robots and cybernetics and and of course, because it's Balogun Ojitade, there has to be a strong martial arts presence. There's some as fighting. Well. There's definitely some fighting. <laughs> There's some fighting. Well, now, I'm not a very spiritual person myself, but does there really need to be a line in the sand of um, science fiction and, uh, and fantasy? Can you not can you have one and the other i mean star wars aside aside mm-hmm. um because this story has some hard science fiction elements mm-hmm. but they're also coupled with um with a a african kind of spirituality mm-hmm. um so Sometimes I don't like chocolate in my peanut butter, mm. but sometimes I do. Right. And I think if it's if it's handled well, um, it works. Right. If it's not handled well, it makes me just want to throw up. Right. Right. <laughs> now, now you know you were mentioning this description, and and we cast aside probably the one science fiction franchise most people are familiar with that includes a little bit of both high technology and spirituality. Um, but it also kind of makes me think of uh, Final Fantasy, particularly the seventh installment that is adored, where you have this kind of uh, worship and spiritual practice that is very ancient, coupled with this very high technology Mm-hmm. And and so it does have that kind of feel. Uh, I would say that my one hang up with this story is that it does feel like it's the setup or the first chapter of something much. Well, like I said, it's pure Balagun. Yes, yeah, Balagun does is, that. He does that a lot. Bal- Balagun is definitely like becoming a genre unto himself. But what's going to end up happening is there's going to be a role playing game based just on this story. That's a, that is what's going to happen. I'm going to get an angry um, 
PM from Balogun. He's going to say, fuck you. I think I'll use BRP for this one. (laughs) (laughs) All I got to say is if this story like continues as like installments in other anthologies or as a collection, you know, novelized, uh, I want to see the descendant of ice cold Carter in here somewhere. (laughs) Cause I know you're listening. Uh, we know uh, you're out there yes all right we also come across uh this this one's another kind of hard-hitting it's uh mama africa by jarla tang tang hopefully i said that correctly whom i might want i i just want to say hello to jarla because uh she's been uh coming along and uh clicking some likes on some of my clowning on milton lately but yeah here we have here we have kind of um certain elements where we have these mega corporations um except following a more modern take it's corporation mega corporations that are owned by chinese parent companies well that's not yeah that's not too far-fetched right right like I said, in the in the '80s, everything was going to be owned by the Japanese, but yeah, so, but currently China is a huge economic power, and it makes sense that you know the mega corporations of of certain future dominated by. Yes, um, I I do like how none of these authors uh, decided to revisit the '80s, mm-hmm. um, and how they took. 2020 as, as their um, point of departure. Right. Um, there's, there's definitely some, some, some references in a few of these stories to um, the situation with COVID and everything in 2020. Mm-hmm. Right. Which makes perfect sense to have a science fiction that's, you know, you don't want to do like a retro science fiction. Although, right. you know, that is, that's a cool little genre of, of itself, uh, is, you know, c- cyberpunk does that. Uh, yeah, but I think, I think something like, uh, cyberpunk, it really has to have the jumping off point of now. Right. Uh, because, you know, when you, when you think of cyberpunk, I'm going back to, to what I should have been talking about at the beginning, you know, it's very 80s. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been the eighties for goddamn forty years. Holy shit! Right. <laughs> and <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, and well, even you have to be able to relate to it. Right. So you know, I love cyberpunk. You love cyberpunk. I lived in the eighties. You lived in the eighties. My son. The closest thing he ever comes to the eighties is he listens to to music from the eighties. Right. That's a, that's like me in the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. Me listening to music from the 60s when I was in the 80s. The closest I ever came was listening to the fucking Who or the Beatles. Right, right, <laughs> right. And and interestingly, we did have that period of time where you know, things wanted to draw upon the 80s. Um, and, and yeah, th- this particular uh, fiction... Mama Africa, and you tie tie it back into unlimited data as well. 
uh, also kind of pray, uh, pulls on our current anxieties uh, and and some of the kind of uh, zeitgeist. You know, in, in the 80s, you know, greed is good. And, you know, cyberpunk really kind of took that greed is good trope and, and magnified it. Right. And now we have corporations or people. <laughs> right. And and we're, we see the strain, particularly oh, really in this, uh, that kind of anti-capitalist idea and and themes of generosity and what is the purpose of the successful Right. So what, what we end up after a couple of really like, uh, like downbeat stories, bleak stories. Um, now we have with Balogans and with this one, we have, we're back to like some, some upbeat stories right. with, uh, po- with a, a less harrowing, more positive message. Even though this particular story takes place in a dystopian kind of a situation, the, uh, I guess the tiny victory of the individual mm-hmm. over that uh, corporate, um, that corporate just uh, culture mm-hmm. uh, makes it for uh, a, a hope again, mm-hmm. uh, a positive story in a just a, a bleak landscape. Yep, a little basic human decency can go a long way. Is the the theme of this story, and my particular interest in this in this tale is that even in the high tech future, right? A machine can understand the simple truth of the real prime directive of kindness. And that's, that's probably fairly spoiler heavy because this is a very short. Yeah. Sorry. Read it anyway. It's really good. Right. Read it anyway. Uh, you can also write a dissertation on on the uh, what you can unpack here, uh, because there are also themes of uh, continuing in a tech positive world. Yeah, well, uh, that is definitely tied to nationalism, and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, the the idea that countries have a race. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So there you go, another another little gut punch kind of a story there. That even though it ends on a high note, still yes. still rocks you. Speaking of gut punches, uh, or, just before before you say because we're in we're in for it. Buckle up, yeah, buckle <laughs> up, Ronnie, ladies and gentlemen. My notes for this story is: billionaire douchebag gets haunted by a dog. Yeah. <laughs> now. Now it is censored. It is censored in the title of the book, but I'm going to say the whole thing. So watch me mangle these words. Somato sensory cortex dog mix mess you up big time. You sick sack of shit. <laughs> by by Minister Faust. Now I I make a lot of jokes about H.P. Lovecraft being the undisputed heavyweight champ of. Adjectives. Minister Faust is the undisputed heavyweight champs of adverbs. There are a couple of adverbs used throughout this story that are hilarious. I don't know if if Faust made them up or I think if, he did. 
But okay. all I gotta say is, is motherfucker, I have to use the ad- adverb sexdaciously in my regular vocabulary from here on out. Yeah, thanks. Now he's gonna be insufferable. That's right. Thanks a lot, Faust. Yeah. <laughs> and and if I don't, I'm gonna teach it to Wes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I. I mean, all of a sudden, speaking of Futurama, all of a sudden now I feel like Kiff. Yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this is a, a really slick science fiction tale of a little bit of uh, karmic comeuppance for uh, a, a dickbag tycoon. You know, this is the type of story we, we love to hear at Microphones of Madness. <laughs> It's a fun story. It, it is. It is. It is really fun. Really fun. And and being that it is the from the perspective of the one getting the come and has no idea what the fuck's going. And yeah, I mean, because because that's that's one of the hallmarks also of of the genre of cyberpunk is that you know the the tycoon does usually get some type of get the shafts in some way. Yeah, by our by our protagonists, but it's not often you get. Usually, it's in a pirate way. Yeah, this is just straight up karmic vengeance. Yeah, so on a more serious note, this story does explore uh, the similarities between uh, uh, the spiritual, Mm -hmm. if you consider um, hauntings ghosts spiritual mm-hmm. and technology and how technology apes uh, mythology mm-hmm. which is pretty pretty cool yes very cool but uh yeah this is this is just real slick there's a lot of neon in here too there's that's one thing that we haven't seen a lot of throughout this book faust pours the neon on and the rain <laughs> well, neon and rain. Nobody uses neon anymore. It's all um, LEDs. LEDs. Yeah. But that's all. That's that. Look, but guys. once again, you know that television, dead television skies don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Now it's all Azure all the way down. Yeah, that's that's what I really like. Is we really kind of shifted gears. Uh, from Mama Africa being kind of a, a little bit of a gut punch, but ending on a positive note, to one a story that is really dark humor, which you don't get to see a lot. Yeah, uh, you could tell that uh, Minister Faust had a gas writing this story. Oh yeah, <laughs> I could almost see the guy at his typewriter <laughs> yeah. Yeah. laughing his ass off maybe like sipping on a Molson <laughs> hey. it's the first beer that came to my mind a Molson. all right and we got to say you know Minister Faust is probably one of the coolest by na- byline I mean, there's it's just a cool fucking name that's that's a cyber funk name if there ever was that's true where are you going I'm going to see Minister Faust good luck yeah so definitely worth it for the word sexdaciously but uh definitely keep reading the dark humor because it is 
It's hilariously comical. For all of you, hey, Jeff Bezos. And it is or, comedy in the traditional sense of the word because it does end on... Or Zuckerberg. Yeah. Pay close attention, guys. This could be you in the... Stay away Stay away from Canadians. You can tell by the Molson. <laughs> that gives it away. All right. Next up on the list. A Bird in the Hand by Gerald L. Coleman. Uh, this is another story that kind of feeds uh, a blending of science fiction and fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, as that we have uh, immortality brought. Like... Not the immortality brought about by the singularity, the merging of, but the traditional sense of immortality and that there are folks wandering around that are just really fucking old. Right. Kind of like, uh, you know what this kind of reminded me of? Old Hellblazer. It kind of has an old Hellblazer kind of vibe to it. Um, it also kind of has like a like a slicker altered carbon kind of. Yeah, it's got like that. Um, just the protagonist ha- is just done. Yeah, <laughs> just just like so you know you get that that feeling when you read Hellblazer of Constantine just being done, and then something happens and he's like, "Fuck, now I gotta go and do something about it." When I was pu- I thought I was out, and they just pulled me back in. And and th- really, it, this has got that vibe in spades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And our main character, Azrael, like John Constantine, is the smartest motherfucker in the room, and is always makes sure. yes. Which that's always the way I I like my inte- my protagonists like that. <clears throat> Be to be like, aha, we have outsmarted you, and then it turns around and is like, not really, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not really. You're you only think you would because I let you think you would, yes. Oh, yeah, how prove it? He's, he's <laughs> even got like that Constantine smarm, mm-hmm. yeah. It's you, you, it was very hard not to like see a, a guy in a wrinkled. Rain trench coat, white shirt, smoking cigarettes. Tie, yeah, it, it was hard not to picture Constantine in the role of Azrael, right? But yeah, that's still still a, a, a just a great little fun. When you're tired and you try to get away, you try to go to the furthest place you can. <laughs> in a way, uh, I don't know if you've ever read uh, the Fifth Head of Cerebus. No, uh, by by Gene Wolfe, um, the, the planets that um, that the, that those stories take place on are kind of like these old, um, almost like forgotten colonies that like have like this huge gothic feel to them. They just mm. feel burnt out, like old and burnt out. Yeah, and. And that's kind of like the uh, the initial setting for this. Mm. Kind of felt that way too. He just like went to like the dreariest, uh, uh, just out of the w- most out of the way, uh, most just like no one wants to go here. Place right? Why do you want to go there? Nobody wants I'm, to go there. Well, that's exactly because I'm 
done. <laughs> because I'm done. I'm tired. I just want to drink. Yes. And go to a shitty bar. <laughs> yeah. On a fucking rock orbiting Saturn. <laughs> I mean, you know, we all have days like that where we just, that's what we want to do. It's like, okay, I'm moving. I'm moving to a rock orbiting Saturn. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, uh, really, a, a change of pace is in yes. store here coming toward. And speaking of change of pace. Yep. Something new. Something for the, new for the silent. By Zigzag Claiborne. Also a very cyberpunk name for an author. Yes. I love it. Uh, yeah, there's been quite a few authors that I, I'm not familiar with uh, that we haven't read before. It's mm-hmm. It's been a bit of an education being introduced to some of these voices. Yes, I actually purchased a couple of books by some of these authors um, to look further into their their um, their works. All right, now I'm not going to lie, and I don't think I, Steve's going to lie to you either. I'm going to say that Zigzag Claiborne was not one of those that I purchased books for outside of this uh, because I read this story this morning mm-hmm. and uh, it's fresh in my mind and I still have no idea what's happening in this story. Right. right. Um, in, in some ways the, the, the story, the way things are phrased, uh, it almost has a pro prose poem thing going on. Yes. It's uh, very abstract. Yes. And it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, Joe Pulver a little bit without mm. without the without the sentence fragments, but the the short choppy sentences, the way things kind of jump around, uh, it's definitely a little more abstract. And uh, yeah, it's going to probably take me two or three more reads to figure this one out. It's definitely one of the most uh, literarily challenging stories. Yes, it certainly is, and it's. To me, it's got that um, that feel of uh, Gnosticism through computers, mm-hmm. maybe, that I have absolutely no interest in. Right, right. Uh, I did say before uh, that you know I'm not a spiritual-minded person, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of like exploration of um, of uh, touching God, beating God, the computer being God, uh, just I have no interest in it. Literally, Deus ex machina. Yes. Um, so, uh, it, it, it there are some stories that that do touch upon that. Uh, there's like a lot of Philip K. Dick touches upon that. Um, so I'm kind of lying because I really like Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also tells a coherent story uh, that supersedes that right. most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is kind of like a, a layer or two down. And you can dig into it, and it's kind of fun to uh, to to do that. But you get a story that is at a level above that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Gene Wolfe, it's the same thing when, when we read... Um, the uh, 
the book of the of the new sun mm -hmm. uh, definitely has that feel to it as well but like i said there's a story that you can follow but if you were to strip away the that narrative and just come to that level of a uh, of, of metaphor allegory being the narrative i I, just, I don't like that uh it, it's my it was my um my problem with scott jones's stuff um uh, it then i feel the same way about this it's just i need something um that that allegory that metaphor needs to attach itself to so i can process it and this doesn't have that um yeah i'm i'm kind of a little bit the opposite and i guess that 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 comes from uh perspective uh because i, I, I think differently than me yeah i know i know i thought I, we were I, friends I, well, i'm supposed to be <laughs> lockstep with you yes the who is the greatest band in the world there are you happy? see there you go <laughs> he admitted it for for those of you who can't see because this is audio my tongue was firmly planted in my cheek when i said he's that. lying he's lying he knows the who is great Except for Roger Daltrey, he's a piece of yeah. Roger Daltrey is definitely a piece. And he said that with his tongue in his cheek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on! Everybody knows by now that I say everything. Either all right, sorry, I derail what you were saying. Needs needs salt or 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 it's said with tongue in cheek. <clears throat> um, yeah, I guess coming from a different perspective, you know, I come from you know. Uh, being a Zen Buddhist for a long time, and we have the koans, which are, you know, of a, a similar type of um, uh, difficult approachability. And, yeah, so this one's probably going to get a few more reads, just so I can... Because I definitely... God damn it, I need to know. Maybe you can tell me. <laughs> That's right, so I can tell you when I go... I was actually kind of half hoping that you could have told me now. <laughs> nope, nope. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not that good. I might call myself the great sage equal of heaven, but uh, most that's also tongue in cheek. And as soon as I figure it out, I will smugly tell you about it. Yeah. So someone's gonna, <laughs> so someone higher up in the the Zen Buddhist food chain is gonna ask which cheek your tongue was in. The Buddha's ass cheek. <laughs> Here's your paper, sir. You are fully enlightened. Motherfucker. All right. So there What's we go. LED? 10 of 19 stories down. Next time we'll be looking at the final nine. Uh, and, uh, hopefully we'll have the same energy. It felt really good to get back into this format and, and be able to do a little bit more. I guess yes. Just, you know, that's, that's what I miss. I feel like we've gotten a little at times and, we needed some clowning, so thanks to everyone who gave us a good chuckle in their stories. Minister Faust. Balligan. Balligan, yes, definitely. Broken noses and all. And until next time... Keep 30. Luck points, that is. <laughs> <laughs>